Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, as you know, food brings people together and promotes community. And here at Principle of Hospitality, we are here to disrupt the current perceptions of what the hospitality industry can achieve in today's ever-evolving and challenging environment. And that's why we're so proud to partner with Chef's Hat, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia on this season of Poe. Now, from humble beginnings, Oz Harvest has become a leading food rescue organisation on a mission to nourish the country by stopping good food from going to waste and delivering it to charities that help feed people in need. Their yellow vans are out and about in the communities every day, collecting quality surplus food from a network of donors, including supermarkets, cafes, delis, restaurants, corporate kitchens, airlines, hotels, and other food businesses. Wow. And today they have it operate nationally around Australia with offices in Sydney, Adelaide, Brisbane, Gold Coast, Cairns, Canberra, Melbourne, Newcastle, and Perth. How much help they're actually doing there. And through a team of passionate volunteers and regional communities, they're doing an amazing job. So I feel very lucky to have Banana Tobias, the Victorian and South Australian State Manager at Ob Harvest, here with me today. Hey, Banana, how are you? I am very well, Sean. How are you? Thank oh. you so much for having me, mate. Oh, mate, it's been it's been a pleasure. And um, and obviously, Oz Harvest is a brand that that I've known here in Australia for a, a hell of a long time. I've seen it in action. Um, a couple of restaurants that I've worked in um, had um, your amazing people come in and pick up you know, surplus stock um, from the restaurants. And it, it is such a – I know there's such a fantastic history around what the brand was about and, and, and why it was started. I want to get into that. Um, but um, first of all, I think we should just say thank you to, for doing such a great job for the industry um, and, and, and helping people in need. So um, how did Office Harvest actually, actually start out? It's a, it's a very, very interesting story, actually, that links back to the hospitality industry very well. Um, Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Khan, our CEO and founder, mm-hmm. she, had, she owned a very successful events business. So it was um, doing corporate events, left, right and centre, large events, those, um, those fancy events that we, that we love and gets us all together. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I've worked in hospitality for a very long time as well, and we love working in those events and how streamlined things are and all of that and how beautiful it is for, for the clients. But we also know the amount of food that actually goes to waste out of those events because the last thing that people want is to run out of food, right? When mm-hmm. they put together an event, if you put together a corporate event or if you put together a wedding or a birthday party, whatever it is, the last thing that you want is to run run out of food. So what do you do? You over cater. You just get as much food as you can possibly get and you get it organized. And as an events planner or as a someone in that industry, you want to obviously maintain your reputation so you don't want to to upset your clients by running out of food and uh ronnie ronnie saw that firsthand over and over and over and over again um on her events and she tells us stories about people putting together these beautiful pristine seafood centerpieces and nobody touching the food and all that food going to waste uh one day she got sick of it (laughs) <laughs> she knew that there was a lot of people going hungry, you know, especially with her background and all of that. And, um, and you know, uh, food is precious. And she's she has always had 
uh, an immense connection to food. And, you know, like food is so precious. It's one of those things, as you said, it's, it connects us, it keeps us together in every celebration that we have, in every event. In, it's, a, it's a human thing more than anything else. It keeps us alive. It keeps us going. Mm-hmm. So it, it should be cherished and should be, um, you know, it should be respected most, most of all. And, um, Seeing that level of waste, Ronnie decided to do something about it. So essentially what she did, she put, um, basically this was back in like 2004, she put an esky in the the boot of her car and she started sort of moving uh, that food around Sydney. She was confronted by the need, you know, the need in Australia. We very often, we don't see it. it's something that is hidden, you know, behind the curtains of society somewhat. The, 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 we are in such a lucky country, such a wealthy country, and we don't realise that so many people actually go hungry in this country. So mm-hmm. when Ronnie started um, delivering that food to, to charities around Sydney, she actually um, realised that the need was absolutely astronomical. So she... She decided to go out of her way and um, and really try to get some support. And Goodman Foundation, um, who she reached out to, decided to give her the very first ban. And um, wow. essentially, she in the first month, she managed to move 4,000 meals in that first month to 14 charities in Sydney, which is remarkable. And, of course... Once that happened, um, it just, you know, the rest is history. We have grown to, you know, in the past 17 years, we have changed the laws in four different states. And this is what connected me to us harvest in the first place back in the day, uh, because I worked in hospitality as well. And I used to actually move some muffins at the end of the day from this place out to uh, some uh, sleep uh, rough sleepers in Sydney, and I um, I actually got in trouble back in two thousand and five, I think it was, wow. and uh, for actually trying to divert that because it was uh, due to liability laws and some complexities, it was actually illegal to actually do that. So, but Ronnie managed to change those laws in four different states to allow for food to be um, pretty much redistributed. Uh, without any fear of liability, which is brilliant. And I, I just came to find that out once I got my citizenship in Australia and I wanted to sort of move out of hospitality. And then I, when I heard that Ronnie was responsible for that, I, I basically just said, yeah, no, I need to work for this woman. I need to learn more about this and I need to do something about this as well. So that's how I joined the fight back in the day as a driver. Mm-hmm. But Osharvis has grown and we we work with food rescue, so food waste diversion or surplus food diversion. We work uh, very strongly in, in the education space. So in terms of food literacy education, in terms of nutrition education, in terms of food sustainability education, um, and, uh, and and you name it, mm-hmm. uh, we engage with with all sectors, pretty much from government sector, corporate sector, with industry, with the food uh, food sector, with hospitality, um, and uh, with the community as well. So, like extensive local level collaborations and, and state level collaborations and national level collaborations. 
um, advocacy pieces with government. So we sit in um, in um, you, you know in work groups and task forces with government uh, advisory groups and all of that. Uh, we also do. Uh, we are also very strong in the in the innovation space. So innovation is something that is very um, close to Ronnie's heart. So we do. Um, so we have, we created the, the Australia's very first free supermarket in Sydney. Uh, we have just yesterday launched a brilliant, brilliant campaign. So it's our first campaign to actually tackle food waste in households, which is the Use It Up campaign, mm-hmm. um, which is absolutely brilliant. I do encourage any of your listeners to, to um, do a bit of research on that. But yes, yeah, so it's... Um, and from that one spark, from that one idea that Ronnie had 17 years ago, it's it's grown uh, to to this magnificent organisation that does so much good. Now we move about 250 tonnes of food a week across Australia. In Melbourne alone, we move about uh, about 25 tonnes every week. So. Food is dignity, Sean. Mm-hmm. As you know, uh, if you can't feed yourself, if you can't feed your kids or or your family, um, it's a horrible thing. We do appreciate that food is um food is a human right. It's a basic human right. Yeah. Um, and uh, everybody everybody should have the right to to you know to affordable to healthy to culturally appropriate. Food and uh, the the reality is that we we produce enough food to feed everyone worldwide and in Australia mm. we do produce enough food to, to feed everyone but because of um, you know because of, of behavior essentially behavior of all of us um, as a society we waste too much yeah. we just waste too much a lot of that food just goes to bin so that's what we're here to do and that's what we that's what we try to change every single day of our lives yeah it's a it's a great story and it, and it really encapsulates like everything that that Oz Harvest is doing on such a holistic level um mm-hmm. it's just incredible to think uh, you know 17 years is actually a really short time and to achieve all those things in that period of time like it's just um just unbelievable right like I was going to ask, like, when when you did come in uh, a couple of years ago, were you surprised at the level that it would go from giving people food, um, and how that would change sort of the rest of their life? Like how that how that sort of small act of grace would would actually serve them in different ways? Were you surprised by that? Uh that's an interesting question. That's a very interesting question. I was surprised by many things. <laughs> so I first joined Los Alves as a driver. Um, and this was back This was back five years ago, actually, uh, when I first joined Los Alves. I wanted, to, I wanted to give back to the community that welcomed me with open arms. I was, um, I'm an, uh, a migrant to this country. And, uh, but I had no idea, to be honest with you, I had no idea that there was so much need in Australia. And the driver role really changed my life, I have to say, because not only you see the magnitude and the amount of food and how, uh, and the quality of food that actually gets thrown out in Australia. It is absolutely crazy. It's absolutely mind-boggling. Like we could, um, 
we could triple the amount of vans that we have. We could quadruple the amount of vans that we have, and we wouldn't even be able to scratch the surface. So, in fact, um, we waste about 7.6 million tons of food in Australia every year. Let that sink in for a second. And, you know, it's absolutely crazy. Mm. Um, But that's one thing that surprised me, that really surprised me. And uh, then... And that has three impacts. That has the environmental impact, that has the economic impact, and to your point, that has the social impact. Mm. So um, when you, basically 6 million Australians rely on food relief every year, 6 million. And this was before before COVID numbers. Mm. So, you know, it, it has been exacerbated significantly from COVID. Mm-hmm. When you get to these places, um, so the this was the other the other thing that really surprised me the the amount of people doing good in Australia, the charities that we work with. So we Osavas works with fifteen hundred uh, charitable organisations across across the country, and this goes from like your big organisations that you know like that everybody know, and you know like your your Vinis, your Salvos, and all those large organisations that people people know and love. And but there there are people in Australia that literally open their houses on a Friday afternoon, every Friday afternoon, so that the immediate community can come and, and get some food. Wow. And it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. And and these people they must be recognized because whilst we are there delivering the food to those charitable organizations, these people are there playing a key part in basically changing people's lives. And it does, Sean, as you said, it really does change people's lives. When you receive that food, if you can't, like, if you can't feed your kids, for example, you can't feed yourself, what energy do you have to just go and, and you know, like be at that level of motivation and, and, and well-being and, you know, food insecurities that are directly linked to mental health, is directly linked to your level of, of energy and motivation. And it's, these are natural things. These are natural scientific things. This is not assumptions or anything like that. So uh, when you can't feed yourself or you can't feed your kids, you don't have the mental space or the bandwidth to actually deal with the problems that will actually get you out of that situation. So, um, you know, and it just becomes a snowball. So when you give someone some food, it basically it is an immediate, it is an immediate thing that will uh, nurture their body and will get them going. Mm. But we do appreciate as well at Os Harvest that you know, in order to um, you know, like in order to 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 really tackle the really tackle the problem, it really requires a very holistic, very holistic approach. It really you know, giving someone a meal as beautiful as it is and as life-changing as it is, um, it, it really doesn't fix the problem. So uh, we really, and as Os Harvest grew, we, we do appreciate that and we really embodied that holistic approach to food insecurity, which involves, you know, like we recognize that the strategies required to um, address food insecurity in the long term for all Australians it must be holistic and it must include policy interventions. It must include the uh, level collaborations. It must include school-based programs and education. And of course, it must include food relief initiatives. 
but was essential that act of uh, and beautiful and heartwarming and amazing and so necessary um the act of giving uh someone a meal in a time of need does not fix the problem so our harvest education program our strong advocacy our food relief initiatives and our extensive local level collaborations in in melbourne for example we work with 473 local food businesses and we work with 181 charities uh, and these extensive local level collaborations and all of our programs it demonstrates our unwavering long-term commitment to that holistic evidence-based approach um, to reducing food insecurity in Victoria and in Australia. So that's what makes us the leaders in the space and that's what really pushes the, the car forward in, in creating that change and basically making sure that everybody has that, that access to food and that we don't, you know, that hopefully one thing that Ronnie says, which is, which is awesome and I love it, is that we are here to make ourselves redundant we want to our goal our ultimate goal is to not be needed yep. and uh we want to fix a problem but we need we need to really think outside the box here and we really need to work with everyone and think and work with government and work with the industry and work with the community to really um to really boost this and we do believe that the solution is simple you know we do think that the solution is simple simply by respecting the food that we have available for us um, and wasting less. Mm. We can make that food available to everyone. We do have enough food to feed everyone, and that's the reality. So simply by not wasting it, that food can be made available out there. So, yeah, so that's uh, that's our ultimate goal here. <laughs> so do you, th- do you think now, you know, the business is at 17 years, it just sort of looks forward to – you know, 20 years coming up, it'll come up pretty quickly, right? Because time moves so quickly these days. Has the brand sort of moved from uh, a food rescue business into almost like an advocacy kind of role? Like obviously the brand is already playing that role with government, but do you think that's where it's going to be so much more important for Ronnie, the rest of the team, people like yourself as part of the organisation to sort of move to as as real contributors um, hand in hand, you know, with government, with local groups, um, with local councils and, and things like that as well to change, you know, what's happening. Because because what we're talking about is is food is the connector, is the start of the conversation, right? Like pretty much everything you're saying is the giving people some food really starts a conversation about what, what really the other challenges are. Um, and I've seen a bit with um, Orange Sky who do the, the washing machine charity right with with people um who are suffering from homelessness and they they say that a bit right like that's just the start of the conversation like do you find that might be where uh oz harvest will will sort of move to to more sort of advocacy roles with government and with local groups look as leaders in this space we're already there yeah uh, yeah to be honest with you uh we do uh, look we do appreciate that to to in order to actually fix the problem we need that reactive approach we do need that reactive approach and we will need that reactive approach for 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 us for a lot of you know for the foreseeable future really we are committed to halving food waste by 2030 and this was um this was a 
I actually, Ronnie, back in 2015, she actually went to Canberra and she got Greg Hunt that was, uh, back then he was the environment minister. She got him to actually sign the commitment to, to having food waste by 2030. And then she, she, kept on, she kept on going and pestering on government until they actually got the, the um, what they call the, the pathway to having food waste, mm-hmm. what that commitment actually looked like by Josh Frannenberg in 2017. And we continued that work. So, you know, like Ronnie works, um, Ronnie and our, our national team as well, they work uh, with uh, a national steering committee. They work with the section, sector action plan, really supporting and advising um, government on, on how to actually get to that point and basically working with the industry as well. But we work with at a state level as well. We work very closely with government. So I think that that advocacy piece and that, um, you know, that's what makes us really the leaders in the space. And we are the leaders in the space when it comes down to, um, you know, bringing and, and creating those, um, you know, those world-class and really, um, you know, those world-class approaches to, both food waste and food insecurity in Australia. Yes. Um, but, you know, the core of what we do is still and will continue to be in uh, rescuing good food and uh, delivering that good food to making sure that that good food actually reaches people in need because that is, um, you know, that that needs to happen now and now more than ever. With The pandemic has just thrown, uh, has just thrown, food and security to a, a, an unforeseen level yeah. uh, in, in Australia and worldwide. So, you know, we've, we're getting calls from agencies pretty much every single day. They can't cope with the demand at the moment. It is a, a new cohort of people that has never had to access food relief ever in their life. So the need for food relief to be um, out there and available for these people is absolutely critical, as we spoke before. Um, so that is our that is absolutely our our main focus and the core of our operations is all about that at the moment to to make sure that we can get to um, to halving food waste by twenty thirty. So you know in in Victoria, for example, there's uh, the uh, sustainability of Victoria. We work very closely with them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have the path to half, for example, as part of the, the Circle Economy um, Business Innovation Centre. Mm-hmm. And they do recognise that we need to increase uh, food rescue capacity in this state tenfold by 2030 if we are to actually meet those targets. So we are talking about moving from 6,000 tonnes of food rescue to 60,000 tonnes of food rescue by 2030. So there's a lot of work to be done on the ground, operationally rescuing food and making sure that that food is delivered. There's a lot of work to be done in the, um, you know, on the ground grass grassroots to make sure that that food is available. To make sure that that food is available, not only just available, we need to be available, providing people. Um, you know, the excess, the dignified access to nutritious food, you know, mm-hmm. like the very concept of food insecurity, according to the UN, is is the lack of access to uh, nutritious food and culturally appropriate food as well with that right of choice. Uh, so that's what we want to achieve. We want to achieve that universal access 
uh, to to food, and pretty much to everyone, to nutritious food. Where when we think about food insecurity, there is a public health crisis here as well. So there is a responsibility to make sure that not only you know we can we all know you know you've worked in hospital, uh, we all know that if we get there like in a bowl of plain pasta that will fill you up, but is that going to nourish you? Yes. You know, and like it's not. It's a, and, and when you're talking about children growing up and you're talking about all that stuff, you need to make sure that um, those nutrition levels are looked after and you make sure that basically, you know, when you look at from a, a public health lens, that, um, you know, that um, food-related diseases like childhood obesity, there is uh, diabetes, all of that stuff that comes with it that costs the economy so much as well so that that there's a lot as a society it is a it is a very complex issue that we need to look for we look into so a lot of our operations as well are into that research space are into that education space to really understand how we can um basically have under our four pillars our four pillars are food rescue education engagement and innovation so how can we really, under those four pillars, we can really um, trigger something and we can really uh, develop the impact and deliver the impact to the community that is directly in line to our mission statement to nourish our country? So many things to unpack out of that answer. Um, I think we will um, during this whole podcast. But, but <laughs> first, like I wanted to ask, like the last 18 months has obviously been really tricky in regards with, um, you know, the industry, in regards to food production. When I said in the intro there about supermarkets, cafes, delis, restaurants, corporate kitchens, airlines, hotels, you know, a lot of those are obviously very, very different than what they were 18 months ago as we record this. How has Oz Harvest been able to get the food supply that you need to service the, you know, you said 6 million before the COVID crisis. Now it's more than that. How have you been able to get the food you need to the people who need it the most? Well, <laughs> we had we had to, you know, for um, <laughs> at risk of sounding a little bit cliche these days, we had to we had to pivot. Mm. We had to change things that you know, like I know that these uh, these words have been used, uh, you know, words like unprecedented and pivoting and. Yes. Have been used to death out there, but you know, like we essentially that's what we had to do. We had to really overnight, really think about what how we do business and how we how we go about it and really change it up. Last year was really interesting, Sean. Mm. We had at the start of the year, we had the bushfires. You know, it sounds it, it feels like it was an eternity ago, doesn't it? But the bushfires there were you know, horrible. And basically what we saw from the bushfires, we saw that the, the beautiful Australian spirit of everybody just jumping in and basically supporting those that, that bushfire recovery and that bushfire uh, response, you know, like in the organisations that are involved with that. So, and it's something that we really supported. So we saw, you know, like donor fatigue and, and all of that stuff actually coming out from the bushfires. And then as soon as that crisis was sort of sort of settling down, mm. COVID just hit. So 
And then we saw, you know, the, the we saw the hospitality industry shutting down. We saw the um, corporates and that fear of the crisis that was coming through. We saw all of that uh, basically heating, which basically dried up a lot of the philanthropic, uh, a lot of revenue pipelines, for the lack of a better word, for harvest. You know, the support that actually keeps us on the road. And I and this is not. Uh, a, a privilege of Boss Harvest that this happened across um, across the, the the board. So we had to really rethink. Um, in Melbourne, particularly, we got hit hard by COVID nineteen last year. You know, uh, and as an immediate response to the pandemic and the continuous rise of the demand there, on top of the the work that we did as BAU, we developed and delivered food relief programs that saw appropriate and nutritious food made available to vulnerable communities in Metro Melbourne. And for the first time in regional Victoria, because we were, up to then, we were just working in Metro Melbourne. We had to purchase food, really. And that's the that's the reality for the first wow. time in 17 years. Uh, so Food Rescue continued to operate consistently through every single outbreak every single lockdown our drivers they they have just been out there and just rescuing food non-stop for you to have an idea between the 1st of march 2020 and the 31st of august 2021 we rescued 2 million kilos of good nutritious food from 473 victorian food businesses and deliver that directly to 181 Victorian charitable agencies. And that's wow. food rescue. Wow. So, you know, food businesses that had to shut their doors last minute because of lockdowns, they just called us up and can you just come come down and pick up all the food, clear up fridges. I had to go on the weekend at one uh, to a to a restaurant to basically get clear out their, their fridge for them. You know, it's just one of those things that has been, it's been so traumatic. And we we work very closely with the hospitality industry. And God, those guys, have, have, they have done it hard this year. It's, yeah. um, we, our hearts go out to all of them. Uh, but in addition to that, we, as I said, we had to purchase food. So between the 1st of March 2020 and the 31st of March uh, of August 2021, we purchased and delivered close to 1.2 million kilos of, of food in Victoria. Um, we we did that thanks to to government funding for the first time. You know, like we we had to actually go to government for for funding there because the demand was just too large. Mm. We couldn't cope. Essentially, like we couldn't cope. But we by getting that funding and managing to purchase that 1.2 million kilos in Victoria alone, like we did, we did that also in New South Wales and continue to do it. We did that everywhere in the country, but in Victoria alone, we did 1.2 million kilos of purchased food. But we managed to purchase that as well from like Victorian family-owned businesses, so small family-owned businesses to make sure that we are. Uh, and that all of that that support from government stayed here with the with the the small businesses and we by doing that it was we had a really a really great outcome as well because we created a bit of a hyper local community centered approach to to that emergency response connecting 
the the local businesses directly with their local community you know that whole idea of local businesses helping local communities mm -hmm. and that was a and that was a beautiful thing to, to see and uh, by doing that we managed to onboard another 64 charities wow. uh, on, um, on on our book so it's been a it's been a really a really interesting year but definitely a year to be really proud of um i couldn't be prouder of my team and and our teams across the country like everybody's working crazy 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 hours and just doing the very best they can you know we we haven't stopped i see friends of mine for example that um, haven't worked, you know, friends of mine in, in hospital that haven't worked for a very long time, managed to bring some of them into, into our service as well to, to pack hampers and to, you know, like to help with food relief. And they've been championing the cause and we've got, you know, uh, helping out hospitality-led um, charities like the, the COVID-19 EAP and all that sort of stuff as well across, the, across Melbourne. Um, and it's been brilliant. It's just been brilliant to see how the, it, you know, it's one of those things, silver lining of the crisis, right? It's uh, when you see how how the community all get together and we all, you know, like we really, really roll up our sleeves and we deliver this this amazing, amazing impact. So looking back at these numbers, it's, it's, something, that, it's something that really fills me up with pride. Do you think that there is a direct... Uh, in the states that Oz Harvest is in that aren't in lockdown like Sydney and Melbourne are as we record this at the start of October, do you, do you see a direct correlation with need dropping when lockdowns stop and people hopefully get more um, get more work? Because I do wonder like the general community thinking, oh, like the, you know, the super low unemployment and all those kind of things at the moment, like obviously people won't need – um, won't need assistance from from places like you know Oz Harvest and Food Bank and and those kind of charity groups, um, but I think we don't we don't understand the underemployment that is in Australia and the fact that that people who are casual workers who who don't get as much work during times of um, times of uncertainty like we're dealing with now will will really lean on charities like Oz Harvest. Like, have you got any sort of data about about the states that aren't in lockdown at the moment and sort of if there is a different need there uh look it is uh definitely we need to look at moving from from response to recovery mm. but the food insecurity isn't going away as i said to you earlier there there has been a new cohort coming into this and, you know, like it's a slippery slope. Once you get pushed into, into food insecurity, it's really hard to get up again and, and, you know, like to get on your feet again because of the impacts that food insecurity of not being able to feed yourself or feed your kids actually have on you. So it's a, it's, it is a, it is a very complex problem that we don't know for sure yet how that is going to to impact but we definitely know for sure that it is uh not going to magically disappear as soon as the as soon as the pandemic goes mm. we know for sure that this will um this will linger this will linger for for a while 
But it gives us an opportunity, Sean, it really gives us an opportunity to look at our food systems, to look at our food supply chain, and to really create, uh, really change the way that we do it. I think it. I think what the pandemic does, it gives us the, the opportunity to press the reset button um, on a lot of things. So, you know, like on how we, how we actually deal with food, how we actually respond to these things. And to be honest with you, um, there is another crisis that is already here that it's going to dwarf COVID-19. COVID and it really will dwarf COVID-19. And I can't stress that enough, which is climate change. Mm, absolutely. You know? um, so food insecurity is something that is not going away anytime soon. It's not going to, I wish I, wish I had a, uh, uh, a more positive answer to you, but it is, um, yeah, no, it is a, a serious, serious issue that is here to stay. And we will be having to look into, you know, like how can we uh, reduce the distance, you know, like reduce those food miles down to food meters. How can we produce food, you know, um, in, in urban areas? How can we increase the yield of um of food that is produced especially with the growing population in the world we need to be looking at those factors we need to be wasting less for for an environmental from a, a, an economical and from a social aspect definitely but we need to be looking at our, our food production level our food transportation level our entire food system how can we create robust food systems that will guarantee universal access to food? How can we uh, guarantee sustainable um, agricultural practices that will um, preserve our environment, that will preserve our, um, our levels of production and, and, and uh, essentially allow us to increase yield? So, um, yeah, that, that, look, it's not going to go away um, from COVID. I think COVID has given us a little bit of a training ground in terms of um, that immediate response to disaster. And um, we really welcome, like, the, the government's, um, you know, the government's food relief task force, for example, and a few other um a few other initiatives like that that basically are looking at it from a, a you know a more long-term lens and how can we actually make sure that we use the learnings from COVID-19 and how we had to respond and how we had to actually just jump in and 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 basically um, assist how can we actually learn from that and design a system that will really guarantee um, a more robust uh, food distribution in the future. And I think it all comes down to that, to, to those four um, terms. So the, mm. the, the policy interventions, number one, the, you know, we need to look at our policies that basically, you know, that basically, um, you know, do we go um, down the path of like countries like France, for example, that have banned um, food waste from retail level or, or how can we actually create policies that will allow that will basically uh, you know uh, benefit businesses that uh, look after look after um, their food and respect their food and make sure that they're reducing 
food waste, but also from a household perspective, how a third of all food waste comes in households. Yeah. So how can we, how can we actually, you know, uh, how can we actually change that behavior? How can we actually do it? Um, so policy interventions, number one, second, local level collaborations. How can we get everybody working together? Uh, Oz Harvest can't do it alone. The government can't do it alone. You know, um, retailers can't do it alone. Restaurants can't do it alone. We need all to be working together. So we need to be pro- promoting that local level sort of collaborations in the in, in the states, in the in the council areas, in you know, like where we join government, we join community, we join industry, everybody in the room, and just go, guys, let's just work on this together and let's just fix it. We need to invest in the new generation coming up. So we need school-based programs. Os Harvest has um, uh, food education and skills training, um, uh, food education and sustainability training program that is um, curriculum aligned in the STEM, and we deliver that. We're currently delivering that 45 Victorian schools, wow. uh, 1,500 students. So it's a primary school program that basically, and, and it makes sense to the kids, right? Mm. When you tell them that it takes 25 years for a head of lettuce to decompose in landfill and that produces methane that tra- traps heat in the atmosphere 25 times faster than CO2, to us, like adults, it's really hard to change our habits. We're so used to just, you know, like it's gone, dispose. But to kids, they just go, right, okay, this is my future. It makes sense. And we need to equip our new generations with the, the tools to actually to actually become food fighters themselves. And, and also, uh, so we need to combine the, the, the education, collaboration, interventions in policies, and we need to combine all of that with food relief initiatives to make sure that uh, we have, uh, um, you know, like a package that will guarantee that good food is actually kept safe, it, it is actually put aside, and it is actually preserved and respected and loved and then and therefore made available to humans in line with the UN SDGs, for example. Yes. So because I was going to ask you before, like obviously we're talking about food waste here. So like part of – Part of the issue in my head before um, before we we're talking is like, well, should we actually produce less? You know, but obviously we've talked about in this podcast, like you're you're saying the yield should be higher. You know, which which technically means produce more, right? So mm. is it is it really a case that we're not getting the food that is produced for whatever reason at farm level, at retail level, at restaurant level to the people who really need it the most because we have malnutri- malnutrition. At one level of the spectrum, who are eating not nutritious food, and then we have an abundance of people who can afford it who eat too much food, you know, potentially. So I guess I guess your thinking is that we really need to sort out the supply chain problem, the actual logistics problem, to get it to the people who need it the most, not actually the production of product itself. Look, we are we are looking at a growing population, right? Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, it is an exponential growth population grows at an exponential level. So the reality is that, uh, so I'm not looking at tomorrow, like today we do produce enough food to feed everyone. Yes, we do. Um, But we have limited land. We have limited water. We have limited, um, you know, like we have limited resources to grow our food. Mm. So we need to have that long-term lens to it to see that, you know, if our population doubles in size, 
um, by 2050 or, or, or 2100 or whatever it is. Mm. If, um, if we double in size as a population, we will need to feed those people and um, we will eventually run out of resources. So at the moment, for example, food production is responsible for over 70% of our freshwater resource. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And that's a finite resource. We can't come up with, with any more. So we need to be looking at that to how can we feed a growing population? So that's the thing. We Right now, we produce enough food to feed everyone. Right yep. now, we do produce enough food to feed everyone. So we do need to look at food waste. Definitely, that's the low-hanging fruit that's right there in front of us to make sure that we're feeding everyone. Once we are... Once we are matching our demand with our supply, you know, like that we have uh, food to feed everyone and that food is reaching out to people, our population growing, uh, with, that, with that demand growing, we will need to look at our supply. And with finite resources, we need to be looking at our practices to increase yield in a sustainable manner. So, you know, how can we use less water? So, you know, like that's when we're looking at like, for example, your hydroponics and things like they're doing in Holland, for example, growing an immense amount of food inside small warehouses and places like that and urban farming. So in Melbourne, we've got the Sky Farm, for example, which is brilliant that is about to be launched and it's awesome and and you know like things like that so we need to be very smart about how we do these things and uh you know and we know that agriculture for example out there and you know like that whole idea of um of a single crop or anything like that it's really harmful to the environment cattle farms and all that sort mm. of stuff so how can we change and create a system a food system that will cater for a growing population in the future so that's that's that point but in terms of food waste, it happens. And so uh, thinking right now and thinking what we need to do in terms of reducing that food that gets wasted and making sure that we are matching that demand and supply, um, food waste happens in every level of the supply chain. So it happens in farms. It happens in um, in, in restaurants, even though it, it not as much in the kitchen as you, I'm not sure if your background's in the kitchen there or, yes, or the house, but <laughs> yeah, you know, like you have your chef on you, but you know, like people that go out and buy a $24 Parmigiana, they're expecting a large Parmigiana with lots of chips and lots mm. of salad, even though they won't be able to eat it. <laughs> they want the bank for buck, right? Yep. So it's all about those huge portion sizes. And, 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 you know, man, like we see that those plates coming back full. So, and that's the expectation. So that's the same thing as well for supermarkets. We go like, okay, so um, supermarkets have very strict quality standards for when it comes down to the bananas they buy, for example. We know that bananas don't all grow in that same perfect shape and size and color and all that sort of stuff. They grow in all sorts of, uh, but that is guided by the consumer. That's guided by you and me the same way that that guy wants that parmesan to be absolutely huge and he won't be able to eat and they will end up wasting half of it. Mm. Um, we know that we go into a supermarket and if the banana is in a weird shape and there is a perfect shape one just next to it, you go for the perfect shape one. So we all need to change how we actually see those things to make sure that we're reducing um, that waste throughout the entire supply chain. So 
It is all about us as individuals and it is all about us as consumers. So we can stand up here and we can blame government. We can blame um, supermarkets. We can blame uh, farmers. But in reality, it is our responsibility. And I said to you uh, that food is a basic human right. Yes, but with every right, Sean, comes a responsibility. Mm -hmm. We have to remember that. And our responsibility, our sole responsibility with food is to love it is to nourish it, is to respect it for what it is. It's the essential fuel that keeps us alive. Mm -hmm. And that is, if that isn't enough reason for us to stop wasting it, I don't know what is, honestly, because it is a finite thing that, uh, you know, that is, uh, that literally keeps us alive. So we need to cherish it and we need to work together to make sure that we're changing that. And that's the only way that we can reduce the levels of wastage throughout the the supply chain. Of course, there's always food loss, you know, like the box that fell off the truck and, you know, like it's something that happens. And um, there's always going to be some sort of a level of waste there. But at the moment, it's just a third of all food producers wasted. You know, if we're thinking about 7.6 million tonnes of food in Australia uh, getting wasted every year, and we're thinking about 6 million people going hungry in Australia, you know, like there is an obvious disconnect here that we have to address. Um, Once we have addressed that, then we look at the, you know, like at the bigger picture, but at the same time, um, you know, climate change is moving at a galloping pace so we we do need to to really really embody those um, those UN Sustainable Development Goals and really understand what's required of us to to achieve them. Yeah, I, I love that answer um, because it shows there are lots of different things we need to think about. You know, it's not it's not a simple turnkey right now. Like we can't just um, advocate to government and then all of a sudden the whole thing fixes itself. Like there's so many things we have to think about. Um, I like that you talked about responsibility and about respect there. Like how do you think we as consumers can get to a point where we respect food more and therefore don't waste it? Do you think it's do you think it could be involving money? Do you think it's just being um mindful? Um, do you think it's a multitude of those things? Like what's your mm-hmm. thoughts? I am a like I am an optimist. I'm really an optimist and um Whenever I speak to people, it's without fail. If you ask a group of people, like how many of you have heard the sentence, don't waste that because there's someone going hungry? Yes. And it's without without fail, everybody in the room every single time, you know. Um, And, uh, you know, like if if I think of my grandparents in like wartime who lived through wartimes and things like that and rations, you know, that, you know, like crisis is what actually makes, um, creates change in in humanity. But I do believe that we can create change without that crisis. So I'm really hopeful that we can create that change without that crisis, without actually running out. So, you know, um, we have respected food in the past. And I I see from my grandmother, who is 91, she cooks everything from from head 
to tail, you know, if she gets a, a fish, she will make sure that she uses the bones to make stock. And, you know, like the whole thing is utilized and the whole thing is, is respected and cherished. And, you know, like that whole, uh, that whole piece, because the value, the inherent value of food is much more than the dollar value, you know, but um, I think we have created a, a culture of abundance in the post-war world, especially in the Western world. Um, that is, you know, it comes from that same generation that respects the food so much, but it's like, you know, it's that their commitment to, for us not to have to face what they had to go through. They created this culture of abundance where everything is literally available to us at our fingertips. Uh, It's right there. And that just makes it super easy for us to just go, eh, celery went limp yeah chuck it you know you don't even give it a second thought or how you you know put that in a soup or put that in a curry or before it goes off freeze it you know your meat for example or or anything like that um we just chuck it out and then we just get a fresh one because we needed we needed it fresh and it's um you know that's the reality and that's uh we're not really thinking outside the box but we need to just reconnect to that. We need to reconnect to that thought of like, you know, don't waste that because someone's going hungry. Uh, we need to just, you know, go backwards a little bit and just sit back and really, really think about it. Uh, think about the impact that it has. You know, we we think about we think about climate change, and we think about you know like the cars that we drive and the 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 flights that we take and the oil that we consume and the plastic and all of those very important, very 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 important things. But um, in reality, we just end up getting that food is one of the biggest culprits of of and responsible for food waste in yeah. the world yeah um and that's uh and that's the reality so for example like co2 we talk a lot about co2 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 and how harmful it is to the environment and how how it traps heat in the atmosphere when food actually rots in landfill because there's no oxygen or anything, it takes an awful long time. As I said, like a head of lettuce takes up to 25 years to decompose and landfill. Mm. And when it decomposes there, I don't want to get too scientific here, but um, it produces methane gas. Methane gas, it dissipates faster than CO2. So it dissipates in about 10 years or so. But whilst it's there, it traps heat in the atmosphere 25 times faster than CO2. Wow. So it that makes food waste, more harmful to the environment, the, the entire aviation industry combined, for example. You know what I mean? Like, yes. so, uh, um, you know, like if you think about greenhouse greenhouse gases emissions, food is food waste is responsible for 10% of, of, of global greenhouse gases, okay? Extracting oil is responsible for 3.8%. Producing plastic is responsible for 3.8%. Flying is responsible for 1.9%. Wow. So, you know, we think we're very quick to just go, oh, no, it's the oil company's fault. It's, um, you know, like, let's pass the responsibility to mining and all that. That's really important. We need to get better at that. We definitely need to get better at all of those things. But we all can be climate, you know, climate active. Mm. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, like we can all be positive change by just reducing food waste in our households, 
but just, you know, like we have a mentor at us harvest, which is uh, look, buy, store, cook. So, you know, look at what you have before you go to the supermarket, make a shopping list, plan your meals, like as simple as that, something as simple as that will guarantee that you have um, you have a, a, a definite list. We, you know, we are busy, so we, people don't have time to do it. No, we do have time for it because that will save us money. That will save food from going to waste, so making more food available to more people at cheaper rates, uh, contributing to food insecurity, and that will also save the planet. Mm. So, you know, look at your pantry before you go, make a list, plan your meals, buy what you need. So go into shopping centers or go into your supermarkets or your markets or whatever you prefer. And, you know, just buy what you need. Don't get tempted on, you know, don't go to the supermarket hungry. You know, like... (laughs) Totally agree. We've all, you know, like we all go to, um, we all go to a supermarket and, you know, like when we go hungry to a supermarket, what what happens? Everything sounds like a great idea, right? Uh Just go and... Get everything, and you end up spending more money than you than you should. You end up having more waste than you should, and you're just not good for anyone, right? Mm-hmm. So buy what you need. Um, then store food correctly. People don't know how to use their fridges, man. Like mm-hmm. for me, as a, a, a like a background as a chef, your freezer it's a pause button, right? So you know you get your meat, and it's getting to to its use by day. Just put it in your freezer, and you push that pause button and that will last for another six months in your freezer, man. And mm-hmm. that will save you money. But if you let that go over that, that use by date, you're going to have to chuck it. And you know, it's, it's just a horrible thing. And then lastly, of course, cook, cook what you have and make it fun, man. People, people think of, um, you know, like that whole idea of how can we reestablish the, the respect and the love for food. Mm-hmm. People tend to think of, food as being a chore these days which really surprises me oh i have to cook oh i have to go to the supermarket no man make it fun involve your kids involve your your family and get your friends involved and you know like let's just think guys what are we going to cook this week how are we going to nourish ourselves this week through food and you know be creative be human with food that's a, i think that's the 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 biggest takeout and cook it and and enjoy it and savor it you know like it's such a, a a basic human pleasure that you know i think we we don't need to re you know like reestablishing the the respect or and the love for food it's something that it's we just need to remember that we all have it when yes. we smell a beautiful dish or it smells a beautiful piece of fruit or something like that, that's and we just go, mm, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like that's a that's there. That's our respect for it. That's our love for it. You know, an apple tree takes about six to ten years to to grow. That's an apple tree, it's six to ten years to grow. And and the, the amount of water that goes into producing that, the amount of labor, the amount of love that gets put into that. For us to just get that apple and just let it rot in our fridge, like honestly, yeah, we are better than this. Um, I definitely think we're better than this, and I am a, a, an optimist, and I do think that, like we we do, I do believe in people, man. I do believe in humanity, mm-hmm. and I do think that people have the capacity to to you know to do better. 
Yeah. So we do better. And it's as simple as that. I think um, you must be really excited about the uh, the childhood programs that you're doing in, in the Victorian schools, you said as well, because I think I think back on my kind of connection to the industry and how that started. And I was lucky that my parents have had a farm since I was uh, since I was born, so that connection to the farm is always, you know, connection to produce has always been there for me. Um, but also, you know, learning learning about food quite young at school, and then and then doing home economics, like that was pretty much the reason why I came up in the industry. Like, do you think you must be excited about the fact that teaching kids at a young age about food and about respect and about responsibility will breed skills as well as breeding an understanding about what food actually is and how nourishing it actually is. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I usually say uh, uh, when I talk to Amelia, Amelia is our uh, feast manager, um, mm-hmm. national. And when I talk to her, I always say to her how much of a fan I am of hers for for bringing this program into life and really running it. And um, it's just, uh, and, and you see it, you see it when you when you see those kids presenting it. And at the end, they actually come up with a, a, a recipe book. That they wow, make how cool. Um, it's really hands-on. Like they learn how to actually make banana breads out of, you know, like your 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 brown bananas and, That's you know, so like cool. all of those things, man, that is so brilliant. And they have fun with it. And you see that passion. And it really brings me back for, from when I, I first decided to be a chef back in the day, you know what I mean? Like that whole idea of playful, how playful cooking can be and how – how enjoyable that whole idea, you know, like a lot of chefs actually um, lose that throughout their career because it's sort of, um, it becomes that day-to-day sort of. become complacent. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they become complacent. You're right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you see that reflected in menus and you see that uh, across the board. It just becomes that lazy approach. But, you know, there's so much food is just so versatile. It's so amazing. It's so, um, it's so human. Like it is definitely connected to us in such a beautiful way, in a natural way that we, you know, I don't think that, you know, scientifically they can, they can put it all together, but this, I can't describe it. And I'm sure like uh, I would be, I would be very interested to see if anybody else can actually describe that inherent connection that we have as humans to food and as animals as well. Like I think uh, any living being and their connection to food. So I think it's um, when you see the, when you see children actually in these programs that we offer, uh, how they connect how they, you know, how they enjoy it and, you know, how their their little eyes just spark up as soon as they come up with something cool about it. And, you know, like when they they, they realize that egg is such a binding agent in a, in a cake, for example, and how it works, it's fascinating. <laughs> it's absolutely fascinating and it's amazing to see. So I do believe that, um, you know, change will come from these new generations uh, coming up and uh, definitely um, we are in for a trade with, the, with the, the young generations coming up, how connected they are to the climate, how connected they are to the environment, how connected they are to social issues that we've seen, that we see. And, you know, um, I love it. I absolutely love it. I can't wait to see what um, what they come up with. Me either. I think that's a really hopeful way to, to end the podcast, Banana. So thanks so much for your time, mate. Um, mate. 
you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. As I said to you before, um, engagement's the heartbeat of us harvest. Yes. It's how, how we get the word out there and how we can actually, you know, um, if we, if one of your listeners uh, now, you know, start thinking twice before wasting food, that to me, that big win. So that's a, uh, I, I really thank you for the opportunity to be here and and no share and share some of this message with your with your listeners. What's the best way that people can find out about Oz Harvest and all the great work they're doing, mate? You, you can basically jump online um, and do a quick Google on Oz Harvest, and you will most likely be directly to our website. But mm-hmm. our website is www.ozharvest.org. Um, and um, in there, you can just look up as well, look us up and um, get in contact with your, uh, as you said, we are in every, pretty much every capital in the in the country. So just mm-hmm. get in contact with your local team. If you do think that your skill set uh, can, um, can contribute to the fight, or, you know, we've got a growing yellow family. <laughs> we've got over 4,000 volunteers wow. and about, 300 staff across the country and um you know our yellow family always is always uh open for business and a a very very welcoming welcoming environment for anyone that wants to fight the good fight and um you know if it is uh, by supporting us financially, every one dollar equals two meals to us harvest, mm-hmm. and we do appreciate every little bit counts. Uh, or if it is rolling up their sleeves and volunteering, or or you know, or applying for a job with us, or whatever it is, we we do appreciate anyone and everyone that gets in contact with us. So I do encourage you to get in contact with us. Uh, it's a fantastic website. I've been on it very often uh, and most recently as well. Um, so I'll make sure that's linked up in the show notes of this podcast. Bernardo, thanks so much for talking about food waste to me. I've really really appreciated your time. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that podcast. I know you did. So as always, please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. You know we're making this with the industry in mind, so we'd really appreciate that help. And thanks as well to our supporter, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia, Chef's Hat, where the industry shops. And if you don't know us at Post, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, is one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, then you can find them at principaldesign.com.au and myself at Open Petri Consulting for anything to do with systems, processes, and strategy for your hospitality business. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Chef's Hat for supporting us. And until next time, stay safe, everyone.